people of passion. That's what we are. We're people who love, and we are people who hate. And what we want to discuss this morning is learning to hate sin. I want to begin by asking you, what causes you to hate something or someone? I'd suggest the first reason is, is because of what it does to either us or to someone we love. If something causes pain, if something causes sorrow to us or even to one that we love, then we tend to start hating those things. I hate cancer. I've had many people that were close to me, friends, some family, suffer the ravages of cancer. I hate what it does to people. I hate how it affects their lives and the pain that it causes. It's hurt so many good people. Think about parents. As the drumbeats of war are taking place in our country right now, some people are saying, let's go. Others saying, wait, let's see that we make good choices. But ask a parent who has a young man or a young woman who might potentially be sent into battle, and you say, do you love war or do you hate war? And I can tell you without fail, they will say, I hate war. I hate what it does to people. When you go to the Bible, you can find hate exemplified in a number of different passages. In 2 Chronicles chapter 18 and verse 7, the king of Israel and the king of Judah were about to go to war on the same side. And there's a question for Ahab by Jehoshaphat. We've got to make sure that we have God's approval in doing this. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still a man, one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he never prophesies good concerning me, but only evil or always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. You see, when people say things we don't like, we tend to hate them. Do you realize that that's one of the reasons why many people hate the preacher? And I'm speaking literally. That preacher, he's meddling. He's talking about things that he needs just to leave alone. The truth is, is that if you speak for God, you must speak God's message, not necessarily what people want to hear. Love, hate. This morning, I want to point out to you, it's okay to hate bad things. Let me take you through a few passages of Scripture. For instance, in Psalms 97 and verse 10, You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. 
or Psalm 119, verse 104. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Do you see the picture that is given by the psalmist and by Solomon in Proverbs? If it is wicked and if it is bad, if it is wrong, it's okay to hate it. Sadly, however, there are some, though, who hate the good while they love the evil. In Second Peter 2 and verse 15, speaking about Balaam, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved what sin could produce for him. He made money off of it. Or you go to Psalm 52, 1 through 3. David says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. The psalmist wants us to understand there's some people for whom righteousness is an abomination and wickedness is what they pursue. Jesus put it like this in John 3, verse 19. And this is condemnation, that light has entered into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, this morning... I consider it my task, my job, to persuade you to hate sin and to love righteousness. And as I began, I talked about what kinds of things is it that causes one to hate. And for that reason, what I want us to do is we should hate sin because of what it did to Jesus. We ought to hate sin because of what it does to others. And we ought to hate sin because of what it does to us. Let's explore that for the next few minutes. What did it do to Jesus? It caused his death. Do you realize every sin that I have committed helped drive those nails into the hands of Jesus? I want to go back to the passage that Brother Steve read at the table just a few moments ago to verses 4 through 6. When Isaiah said, surely he has borne, that is carried, taken upon his back, our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God put it on him. What I deserved, what my sins deserved, God put it on him. Peter picks up with that. 
makes a powerful point in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 24. For to this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who drudges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we having died to sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. When I go to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 12, and I see the suffering that is experienced by those of us who try to serve God, we are reminded by the Hebrew writer, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. The Hebrew writer says, consider the hostility that he experienced. How would you feel if someone you love so dearly was treated hostile? I'll take up for parents or teachers. But imagine yourself as a parent going in to have a teacher's conference. And you find out that the teacher hates your child. And you find out that there's a hostility there. I ask you as a parent, how would you react to that? You would say, I'm not going to stand for this. I can't stand the way that, that my loved one is treated. Consider Jesus, the hostility that he endured. Why? Because of what I did. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the fashion or likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, Jesus did not deserve the hostility. Jesus did not deserve the death. It is my sin that put him on that cross, and yours as well. Now, if I understand that, and you understand that, that ought to make me hate sin just like I hate cancer. Sin has always caused death. The Hebrew writer in chapter 9, verse 22, says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Chapter 10 and verse 4, he says that it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So I'm left with the fact their death can't do it. There's only one death that can, Revelation 1 and verse 5, to him who loved us and washed our sins in his own blood. I ought to hate sin if no other reason than what it did to Jesus. But let me bring this a little more personal. You know, it's all always easy to look at those people outside the doors, people outside the world, and say, they're the ones that did it, but what about me? 
What about applying this to myself? When the Hebrew writer talks to Christians about those who are potentially going to go astray, he describes them in two passages. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall again away to renew them again to repentance. Now here's why. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, they crucify Him again for themselves the Son of God. Can you imagine repeatedly a person inflicting sorrow and pain and heartache on someone else Every time you and I sin, we keep hurting Jesus. It's just as if those nails were being driven in his hands all over again when you and I sin. And doing so, we put him to an open shame. You get to chapter 10 and you go to verse 29. There's a great context there. But verse 29 says, Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? To look at what Jesus did and say, that doesn't mean anything to me. It's a shame that some people respect what Jesus did so little. Oh, it wasn't a big thing. Oh, it was. And sin caused that. Let me move to the second part. And because of what it does to others. Sometimes people really don't realize how badly sin is affecting them in their lives. For instance, in Jude, verses 22 and 23, he says, And some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled or uh, spotted by the flesh. You pull them out of the fire. Here's a person who may be asleep and the house is on fire around them and you can see them passed out there sitting next to the window. What are you going to do? Say, well, I'll just let them burn up. No, you're going to reach in there. And what if you have to snatch them? What if you have to drag them out of the house to save their lives? You do that because they're in danger. People don't recognize the spiritual danger they're in. In Genesis 18, verse 20, And the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. Folks, it's time to wake up. Unless something changes in our country, God is going to let our great country fall. When? I don't know. But the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is very vocal, very public, 
in our society today is going to be part of our downfall. You get to verses 24 and 25. The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Do you know how bad that destruction was? You can still go to that plain today, which is near the southern part of the Dead Sea, and nothing grows. You see, sin, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they thought everything was going along just fine. They were just partying all around. And God's destruction came. People sometimes don't see sin around them and they won't open their eyes and they won't ask, is this right or is this wrong? In Proverbs chapter 9, Solomon is trying to warn his son about how some temptations just come on you and you think everything's okay, everything just appears to be all right. And he says to him, a foolish one is clamorous. She is simple, knows nothing, for she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. She is alluring, tempting him. And she is telling him, all these stolen waters are sweet. We're going to hide what we're doing. And Solomon says he does not realize there's death there. Folks, I'm going to be plain with you again. Our society is caught up in sin. It's all around us. Our friends, our neighbors, and our family are caught up in sin. And we act as if it is not a big thing. It is. We ought to hate sin for what it's doing to our families. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. There, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alien from the life of God because of the ignorance is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. People who become blind and ignorant, that describes our day and time. When you tell people living together outside of marriage is sin, and that sin can cost you your soul. When people really understand how it affects others whom they love, they will be concerned. In Luke 16, you know the account of the rich man and Lazarus. 
And you know how the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment? How that just the dipping of Lazarus' finger in water and just touching it to his tongue could bring some relief. Drop down to verse 27. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Every person in hell and in torments does not want anyone else there. James 5, 19 and 20 says, Brethren, if anyone among you errs from the truth, wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And folks, we really ought to be concerned if we're involved with our sins. If by our encouragement or by our help a person chooses to do sin, we ought to back up and say, I, I, I didn't realize I was bringing that kind of hurt and harm on them. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 11 and 12, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. When you cause somebody to stumble and fall, you not only have sinned against them, but you've also sinned against the Lord. Number three, you and I ought to hate sin because of what it does to us. Sin damages and it destroys our relationship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say that we're walking together, God and I, we're, we're living life together and you're walking in darkness, you're lying. God's not with you. You may think he is, but he's not. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and his, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Not only do our sins separate us from God and damage that relationship, it separates us with what God will not listen to our prayers. But sin also damages and destroys our relationship with other faithful brethren people with whom we ought to want to be in a loving relationship. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
What if you're not walking in the light? What if you're walking in darkness? We don't have fellowship. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, I wrote in you in my epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet I certainly did not mean with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners, idolaters, since it needs to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who's a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. You see, sin cuts off my relationship with good people. But the sad truth is, is that when we're finished with sin, sin is not often finished with us. People do not recognize that sin many times will not let you go even after you're ready to let it go. I've heard people tell me, Oh, I can quit smoking anytime I want to. You sure? Yeah. I've done it four or five times. How's that working out for you now? Are you still quit? No. You see, sin, like any addiction, can grab a hold of us, and when we're ready to let it go, it may not let us go. One of the biggest problems is the consequences of it. In Romans 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. I say, okay, I I don't want to die, so I'm going to quit sinning. That's not repentance. That's the sorrow of this world. Sometimes you have to pay the penalty for your choices. But what worries me is the fact that sin can become so ingrained in our character that we get to the point where we can't change. That addiction's got such a stronghold on us. We say, I want to quit sinning. Listen to 2 Peter 2.14. Having eyes full of adultery... And that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They've trained their heart to be that way to the point where they have difficulty. It's just like that person who says, I want to lay those cigarettes down. But then that urge, that desire just overwhelms them and they pick them back up again. Some people say, I want to quit sin. But that urge, that desire comes along because they've done it so long, it becomes ingrained in their character. (coughs) Folks, don't fool yourself. Sin can grab a hold of you and not let go. Sin is so insidious because it appeals to our immediate desires. If you don't know what the word insidious means, it means very deceitful, extra deceitful, because it comes at you looking good when in reality it's not. Let me just give you a good illustration. Things that taste good now but later do not. Someone sits down with one of those big supersized tubs of ice cream. Oh, that tastes so good. You take your first bite, your second bite, next thing you know you're scraping the bottom of that plastic tub. 
And then how do you feel? Uh, why did I eat that? And no, I haven't eaten a whole tub of ice cream. But it's one of those things that immediately it sounds real good, doesn't it? Moses was able to see through that, at least in spiritual terms. In Hebrews chapter 11, 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. See, he knew sin was only going to last for a little while. Why? Because he looked to the reward. The more I learn about sin, the more I hate it. I hate what it did to Jesus. I hate what it does to you and to others I care about. And I hate what it does to me. That's the reason why we have the Word. You may have wondered why choosing Romans 7 and verse 13 was a part of this lesson. Let me explain now. In Romans 3.20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Chapter 7, verse 13, but sin that might appear sin. I can recognize sin. I know what it is. I know it hurts. The latter part of verse 13, that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. I can see how bad it is. And that's the reason why the law was added. Now what will you do with sin? I want to end with a passage from Ezekiel chapter 33. I think it's a great passage. Here are the children of Israel in Babylon suffering the consequences of their sin, looking at themselves and wondering, what are we going to do about all this? And here's the way Ezekiel responds. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you shall say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Sin becomes so oppressive to us. It's so distressing to us. How can we live? We're just under the weight and the burden of them. Say to them, verse 11, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Same thing is true today. What are you going to do? Are you going to suffer under the burden of sin? Are you going to let it weigh you down? Are you going to let it destroy you? Are you going to say, enough is enough? It's time for me to live, not die. We're going to sing this song, All to Jesus I Surrender. You can do that. You believe that He's the Son of God? Repent of your sins. Confess your faith. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. At that point, all those sins are washed away. You stand clean and pure and out from under the burden of those sins. You're a child of God, sin in your life. Repent of it. Let's pray with you. Would you come as we stand and sing?